Whether it's Fred Meyer Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Fred Meyer has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What's going on, everybody? This is Adam. Welcome back to Nebraska Hawks Nest. Uh, Give us a like and subscribe so you can get all the latest updates for our Iowa Hawkeye interviews. Want to welcome today, needs no introduction at all, Iowa Hawkeye legend, Ricky Stanzi. How's it going? Good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. We're super excited to have you here. And um, just tell us a little bit about uh, right now uh, what you have going on and what you're up to. I see you're um, you're working for is it uh, it's Goda? Goda, you got yep. it. All right, awesome. First try. Nice. Tell us tell us about what you're up <laughs> so to. Basically, yeah. So I'm a I'm a movement coach um, inside the Goda system. Um, I'm a professor coach. So new coaches are coming in and are getting certified. Um, I help them, kind of guide them through the uh, system. We work online with people um, to start, and then we'll transition to a lab weekend in our brick-and-mortar facilities down in New Orleans. Um, So between training new coaches and then training athletes at the same time of all different ages and sports, I've been pretty busy just kind of, you know, helping people move better. Um, A lot of what we do is – all of what we do is based on, you know, slow motion study. So it's been a nice, easy transition for me as a football player watching a ton of film on the X's and O's. I've kind of transitioned that into the movement. And um, it's something that kind of grew as a passion as I was playing, um, trying to kind of fix my own, you know, mechanical errors. And it just kind of started to snowball. And um, by the time I was, you know, 2018, once I was out of football, I knew that I wanted to do something that had to somewhere in the performance training, corrective exercise world. Um, and then, you know, after kind of researching and, and looking for sort of a decade, I kind of found Coach Gilly and Coach Garrett on, on you know, Instagram and, and started talking with them and understanding their system better. And, you know, they kind of welcomed me with open arms and one thing led to another. And now I'm, I'm you know, helping teach the system and um, trying to help affect change for the next group of athletes that come behind us. Is that something that you see yourself doing long term or is this something that you feel like could potentially be a stepping stone into coaching? Um, you know, I this is really where I want to be for for I'd say for forever. I, I love coaching. I love teaching, um, but I kind of don't want to do it 
just in the football world, just in the X's and O's world, just in the quarterback world. I kind of like um, that I'm able to work with, you know, ages and, and, and different ages, different different groups, different sports, um, different disciplines. And um, it's, you know, it kind of lets me do both. It lets me lets me teach, lets me coach, um, but kind of also gives me a little bit of independence to where I go and do that at. Um, I got to tell you, you know, you look really, really clean cut right now. And, you know, what? are you ever going to bring the long hair back? Because that was kind of a staple back in the day. Yeah, you know, I, I, I had every bad haircut I could possibly have. So looking back now, I can kind of see that, yeah, I'm just going to stick to the crew cut, stick to the clean shave. Um, the, the growing the hair days are, are definitely done. My, my younger brother, who's like 6'8", he's got long beautiful hair so he's still carrying on the tradition okay. of growing out the long hair but for me i'm i'm sticking to the crew cut from here on out i'm a dad okay. now so i've kind of just moved right into dad life and i just same haircut same pair of jeans just on repeat i remember um i believe it was after your injury uh would have been your junior year that i think you buzzed mm-hmm. your hair and everybody yeah. was like what in the hell <laughs> like what what like it was just you know kind of become almost like iconic that yeah the, the long hair so yeah it was, um, it was fun while it lasted but it's like it's one of those things it's like i look back at the photos and I'm like, just like roll my eyes i'm like it was a typical young kid thing grow, grow your hair i'll go through the phase and then looking back on it, i'm like all right i can say i did that i don't ever have to, don't ever have to go back there you know how many young kids from iowa you know grew their hair out like that just because ricky stanzi had his hair like that right. so uh, very cool. But uh, we always like to start out at the beginning. I'd uh, like to hear about your recruiting process coming out of high school. Um, tell us about some of the schools that you were uh, really, really hot on and that were hot on you, um, mm-hmm. what your thought process was. And I thought it was interesting going back. I didn't realize you were listed as a tool threat quarterback, which at Iowa, you were more of a pro style in the pocket quarterback. Uh, tell us about that transition and you, you know your recruiting process. Yeah, so, um, you know, really the offense that we ran in high school was that whole, you know, spread offense, run and gun, you know, playing playing out of the shotgun and, and using your fakes. And we would use a quarterback um, as a running back in that offense. And it was a nice balance between the run and the pass. So I was kind of I – was, I was our lead rusher, so I kind of got dubbed as a dual threat. Um, but I don't think I really ever had the speed <laughs> or didn't in the Iowa offense didn't really call for that. So it kind of was, I transitioned to more of a pocket passer, um, when I got to Iowa, but during the recruiting process, I think people were looking at me as more of a, of a pocket passer. Um, you know, uh, being in Ohio, Northeast Ohio, it really started with the Mac schools. It started with Akron, Miami of Ohio, Kent State, Toledo. Um, those were the first teams um, that kind of showed interest. And then there was, you know, the interest from the Big Ten teams, um, Purdue, Michigan State, a um, little bit of Ohio State and Michigan, kind of hearing from everybody. But the teams that were the most serious and that I was, you know, looking at was really, it got down to Miami of Ohio and then Iowa. And I, I visited Miami of Ohio, loved it. It was a great campus. They had kind of the Mac was just coming off of that, um, you know, kind of pumping quarterbacks into the league. Big Ben, Chad Pennington. Um, there was, you know, some names that were floating around at that time, and the Mac was kind of, you know, showcasing the the quarterback talent. So that was intriguing for me, and I liked Miami of Ohio. But once I went to 
Iowa and then having been from the Northeast, Northeast Ohio, I loved Big Ten football. I always wanted to be a part of Big Ten football um, and then getting on campus. And, and obviously Coach O'Keefe was not only my, you know, recruiting coordinator, he was turned out to be my position coach and my coordinator. So I had a, a level of comfort there. And then meeting Coach Ferentz and seeing the campus, it was I, I really it was a done deal. Once I went to the campus and saw everything, I knew that Iowa was where I wanted to be. Okay. Um, I thought, I've always thought it was really interesting. Um, I believe it was the 08 season when, um, you and Jake Christensen were sharing reps, kind of going back and forth. And then the team eventually decided to go with you full time. Um, you know, and, you know, no, nothing negative against Jake whatsoever that I think the fans saw from the beginning that, you know, you, just fit in the offense better and it, and, and the offense just flowed better and, and ran better. Um, once Jake was moved into that backup role, tell us about the dynamic in the locker room and uh, the coaching offices, how that went and if that affected your and Jake's relationship at all. Um, no, I mean, he, me and Jake still have a good relationship. I actually talk with him quite a bit because he trains quarterbacks and the stuff I do with movement training, they kind of, you know, work together. And so me and him are, are kind of always talking, to be honest. So we had a good relationship right from the beginning when we were there. And when he was starting the year before, I was doing what really every quarterback does in a quarterback room. You have to support your guys, you support your brothers. And, um, so it was always that mindset the year before when I was the backup. And then even after that, um, when, when I was, you know, fortunate enough to, to, to get an opportunity, um, Jake was right there for me in, in reverse. And so I think that it's just kind of the mindset that we were, you know, instilled with at Iowa where it was, it was a team. It was, it was unity first. It was, you know, uh, respecting your teammates and then being there for your, for your teammates, regardless of what your situation was. Um, and so the dynamic didn't really change. And, you know, we did go back and forth in 2008. And I know that I, Kirk didn't want to do that. The, the dual quarterback system is, it's, it doesn't work very often. And um, it wasn't really what fit what we were doing at Iowa. Um, you know, I had a couple good games. And then I went out against Iowa state at home and stunk it up and got pulled. And so I think that they were probably having an internal battle. Like, is Rick really ready? You know, Jake has a little more proven. He's been out there. He's been in bigger games. And then it was kind of eventually Kirk called me into his office. He's like, Hey, we're going, we're going with you. Like, we're just, we're going to go with you. You're going to get your opportunity. Um, and that was comforting to me because as a young quarterback, um, you're going to make mistakes and you don't want to be looking over your shoulder and kind of, oh, they're going to bring the guy back in. And so it was kind of nice to finally get that from Kirk, like, Hey, go out there and, 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 you know, lead this team. Um, luckily for, for me, the way Iowa is set up is like I said, it's all about the team. You know, we've had great running game great defense, great special team. So it was a it was a perfect environment for me to kind of learn and grow as a quarterback and, and eventually progress um, and, and become a team leader because I was still young at that point. I was really a backup the year before. Um, I thought it was interesting too how you talked about, you know, it, how it meant a lot to you that you didn't have to worry about making a mistake ever because it was your job. One of the craziest things we always thought about you was – uh, every single time that you ever throw a pick, it's like you went down and scored the next drive. Uh, what was your mindset like? Because out of any Iowa quarterback I can ever remember, and a lot of fans have said this too, you never, ever seem to let an interception or like a pick six or anything rattle you. It almost was like, okay, we got that out of the way. Now let's go. Uh, tell yeah, Tell it, everybody how you just rolled with it. Ah, oh, man, I, I don't know, I guess, where that where that 
mentality really starts, I probably have to give credit back to my, my father because he was really the first person that was always about personal responsibility, self-responsibility, never make an excuse for any reason whatsoever. Um, look in the mirror and, and it's on you, be the leader. And so my mindset was always like, okay, I've, I've got to get to that next play. I can't let it affect me. It's coach speak, and you do hear that a lot, short memory. You know, talk about quarterbacks, talk about golfers, talk about pitchers. These people that can, DBs, have that same idea. Like, I have to have a short memory because I could have that make-or-break play kind of fall on my shoulders. So, you know, it was it was just kind of one of those things where – Sometimes it was almost like you shake that off early in the game and, and you have that mistake. And then it just was, I don't know if it was easier to come back and, and, and make a play after that. Cause I almost felt like I needed to redeem myself. Um, but the, the big thing for, for us as, as football players, um, you know, as Iowa football players, what coach Ferentz would try to teach us is that adversity is going to hit. Like we're going to have a mistake at some point in this game. Um, how you respond is, is what matters. And so I took that to heart. And, and that was just something that I think we embodied as a team. Um, you saw that in, in 2009 with the Oracle team. Um, it didn't really matter what adversity was set in front of us. There was just kind of that, okay, this is what the challenge is. Let's go ahead and meet that. So the, you know, shake it off was just something that I, I think it started when I was young and it was just something that was reinforced from my father. And then it was, you know, obviously fully reinforced with, with our coaching staff. And I have to give tons of credit to the way that the coaching staff ran things on the sideline on a Saturday, you know, when, when the motions are the highest, it was the most positive atmosphere I've ever really been around in, in, in football where it was just super encouraging. Like I said, I mean, I threw five picks before the fourth quarter at Indiana and Kirk didn't blink. Like, so it was, you had that, that feeling. It wasn't like there was everybody like staring at you and all those things. So it was, it was always comforting. Everybody was always there to, to uplift you. And that makes it easier too to have a, a great support staff. Um, I, I'm going to jump ahead to that Indiana game. Cause that was a game <laughs> where, man, we got up to a slow start there and it just did not look like it was going to happen for us. I believe that was mm-hmm. the pinball play where Sash caught that interception. Yeah. Um, and yeah. what a wild game. It just, we could not get things rolling. Um, and then eventually, you know, again, like you talked about the resiliency of you and the team, it's just, they kept digging and they kept, you know, doing their job, doing what we do. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, we have the lead. Um, can you yeah. walk us through that crazy game? Yeah, it was wild. Like I, I can't even I can remember the, the the picks and I remember like a couple of them. I remember the one going into I forget which wherever they just did the renovation and I was throwing to the left and I'm like, Oh god <laughs> let this thing go and I'm like, Whoa, what happened? Pick and it was like there was like two of those and I'm like shaking my head, I'm like, Man, what's going on? And I tried to throw an out route and I completely miss and it was just one of those things where I'm like you know, shaking my head, like, whatever, it's fine. We're going to find a way. Um, but then you, you can't talk about that game without talking about the defense and the run game and, and how strong our defense was. I mean, if, if I don't have that kind of defense there um, and we don't have that kind of defense at Iowa in 2008 and 2009, um, the record could look a lot different because there was a lot of times where – you're put into tough situations by a pick six that I threw or by a you know bad field position and the defense just would not break. It'd been not break. And um, they would get us the ball back. They would give us opportunities. Um, and it really, the tide turned in the fourth quarter. I think it was the beginning of the fourth that we hit Marvin on the a simple naked out in the, in the end zone. 
hit him on a on a simple over route, and then he did the rest. And we came back the next play, and we ran a double crosser, and, and DJ caught a ball and did what he does best, made some magic happen, and he got into the end zone. And then it was really like, then you could feel Kinnick just turn, and it was like, it's over. You know, yeah. once we got him where we want, it's over. And um, that was just the way that that team was, was rolling at that point. It was kind of like I said, it was just whatever the adversity is this week, we're going to step right over it. And, you know, the one week it's got to block two kicks. The other week it's, well, we got five picks and we haven't you know, done anything with the football and we need to have this explosive fourth quarter. So we were finding ways to win um, in finding unique ways to win, like a pick six from the goal line. Things like that were yeah. kind of trending in our direction. And um, there was a lot of great memories and wild times <laughs> that came from that season just because of the, the – adversity putting us into the, these, you know, top little situations that we haven't had to claw our way out of. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, it's almost like you're reading off the questions here because you've hit like on so many different things we wanted to talk to you about. Um, but, you know, DJK, uh, a super talented guy, um, really naturally gifted receiver. Um, it really seemed like during his time and, and more so after that, you know, kind of some things came out, it was almost fitting a square peg in a round hole a lot of times with, um, you know, with who he was and the coaching staff, um, a little oil and water uh, type of deal. Can you um, kind of let us in on what it was like playing with uh, DJK and how talented he was and maybe what it was mm -hmm. that, you know, made him butt heads with the coaching staff a little bit? I mean, we knew this when it was Saturday. We had to put on the chin strap and it was time to go. Darrell was there and, and he was make plays and he was somebody that I was looking to throw the ball to. I knew that he was going to run his routes. He was going to, you know, he was going to be coachable from the respect of, you know, me voicing to him, Hey, on this cover two, I need you to find that spot on cover three. We need, And so he was a tremendous teammate in, in that regard. And we had a great relationship um, on the field and, and with the X's and O's. And it was a cool little relationship that we had with, you know, me, Darrell and Marv, we had all played the quarterback position. So Darrell had played quarterback in high school. He was very successful in high school playing quarterback. Obviously, super talented. Marvin was extremely successful at quarterback. So they knew what it was like to sit back there. And so we had a great relationship where I could talk openly to them about coverage and about finding those spots. And if they had an idea or they liked the play, we had a, we had just had open line of communication. And so um, we knew when it was it was time to roll that we were going to, you know, we were going to have the opportunity to make plays. Um, and as long as we were doing what we needed to do and, and, and trusting the coaching staff was going to put us in the right positions, it was going to be us up to us to go ahead and, and, and go ahead and get six whenever we needed it. Well, um, one time you did get six when you really, really needed it. Again, that magical season against Michigan State. Um, mm -hmm. had, had multiple opportunities um, to try to get the ball into the end zone. Um, yeah. And I'm going to just shoot you straight. Caused a little home damage at my house at the end of that game. Um, just the, the, the celebration. Uh, walk us through that final drive, uh, mm -hmm. what you were seeing out there on the field, and uh, what play that a lot of fans now refer to as the McNutt slant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, um, you know, that game, we did absolutely nothing on offense. The stats were awful. We, we couldn't move the ball. Um, and it, we had some opportunities in the second half. You know, I, I actually recently watched that game because we had did a little like 
sort of one of these things, like a Zoom with, you know, um, some people that were fans and, and boosters. And so we were going back to that game and talking about it. And we did have more opportunities than I remembered down in the red zone, kind of later in the game. Um, and we just weren't able to get in the end zone. And they have – Michigan State's always had a tough defense. Um, they played a very straightforward, you know, this this press cover four and, and – thought we had some good ideas for that and we couldn't quite you know move the ball early on but we started to get opportunities we started to move the ball late in the game and while we didn't score we did start to get like a little bit of momentum offensively like hey we can move the ball we just need to finish a drive here and fortunately it did we were able to finish the drive that we needed to finish um but that two minute was really we practiced that week every thursday we would go through a two minute and i think it's funny because you know we usually always did it. And I remember Coach Ferentz saying, like, did you realize that we didn't practice the two-minute this week? Because I think there was something that happened on Thursday, and we didn't do the two-minute drill that week. And so, like, I think Kirk was, like, reflecting on it, and he was like, I wasn't going to say anything, but it was, you know, a little heart-wrenching on the sideline. We hadn't, we didn't do two-minute, and this is the week that we need the two-minute drill. But things got going when we hit, we hit, like, a double in, and Darrell caught it, and it kind of got things going. Um, it was that game. We didn't have Marvin for most of the game because he had, he had beaten up his hand, I believe. And so it wasn't until Colin was injured that Marvin came in. And so later in the game, we were able to actually have Marvin in the game because he wasn't playing most of it. He was going to just kind of sit out that game. But there was a you know a couple big plays in that drive that, that gave us a little boost. We had a big in to Darrell. Trey, Trey Strauss caught um, a little five-yard under that he was able to take uh, – you know, upfield. And, and then we were, once we got down into the red zone, we had four shots at it. And, you know, they played us in really the same coverage um, each time. They were blitz zeroing us. They were bringing it all out. And so once we saw that and it was like, they're going to do it again, we got to the sideline, coach called that timeout. And we were just kind of, all right, let's, let's doctor this slant up. Let's get Marvin, a big body into the, uh, you know, into the boundary. We'll motion Tony over just to make it look clean and just to, so we can see that it's man to man get that man-to-man indicator. And then once once we lined up, and it was two-by-two, two and we were motion Tony, and they brought – I'm like, it's game. Because Marvin's going to win that slant 10 out of 10 times. And, you know, it's just really pitch and catch at that point. So it was um, it was a wild game. It was one of those had-to-have moments. Um, and we felt so frustrated all game because we couldn't move the ball. So to finally get that victory, it was just another one of those games during that season that was just like, what's next? I mean, this is crazy. Yeah, I can neither confirm nor deny that a China Hutch was knocked over in my house after that happened. Just the, the <laughs> pandemonium and the craziness after yep. that. That was a very cool moment that I'll never forget. I remember um, I had my uh, my black Stansy jersey on till halftime. Things weren't going well. I switched to the white. and well, you, can, you can thank me later. <laughs> well, they, yeah, that had what it was. <clears throat> yeah. Had to change the mojo up a little bit. Um, have you guys ever had conversations? I know as Iowa fans we have um, how great of a back Sean Green was if you guys were able to have him for that season. Yeah, I mean, you know, what he did in 2008 was was really our offense. And, and the, you know, his production was incredible. Um, obviously, looking back, you could always say, wow, that'd be cool to have Sean Green on the 2019. Um, but, you know, we – we always had a strong running attack. I mean, it's Iowa to me is O-line U. And so the, the, the run game was, um, you know, we were playing chess out there. It was, we had a lot of run alerts, we had a lot of run game checks. And, you know, coach Ferris was, was always doctoring up the run game to give us clean looks. And so Sean kind of showed you what 
the Iowa run game was capable of. You put a, a talented, really talented, big body guy back there, um, and he was just terrorizing the Big Ten in 2008, terrorizing anybody he played. And then, you know, the next year we, we still had a strong, strong run game, and we were still able to be productive when we needed to be. And, um, you know, we it was always all three phases, offense, defense, special teams. That was harped on. It was one play at a time. All three phases have to show up. And so we were always <clears throat> thinking in that mindset. As, as a football team that, hey, everybody's got a job to do. Um, do your job, and, and we will see the result that we want. Uh, moving on over to uh, towards the end of the season, going down with the ankle injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why. It just seems like Northwestern is always just such a thorn, yeah. always. Yeah. And they Pat Fitzgerald's a hell of a football coach. And he, he, you know, I don't know that he gets enough credit for being as good of a coach he that, he, yeah. that he really is. He's phenomenal. Um, you know, walk us through you know, that injury at the end of the season mm-hmm. and having to, you know, sit out. I believe how you had surgery and then yep. um, being able to transition into playing uh, in the Orange Bowl that year. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Northwestern, a t- tremendously coached team, um, you know, great program. Coach Fitzgerald does an amazing job. I I had a bunch of friends from Northwestern once I went to uh, the NFL and, and they were great dudes. They're just like us guys. I mean, they're, you know, just bunch of big 10 football players, hard nose. They worked hard, won't play at a time kind of, you know, group. And so we had a lot of great battles with them. Um, and, you know, that, that was an unfortunate game. It started off like we thought we were just going to run roll because we came right out the gate, scored on the first couple drives. And I uh, just got stuck in a bad position and, you know, end up being an injury. Um, fortunately, it was an injury that I was able to at least come back for the bowl game, which was good. Um, <clears throat> it was, you know, one of those things where I was like, man, did I break my ankle? Did I fr- What's going on down here? So kind of getting the reassurance from the from the staff that, hey, we get this thing, you know, we have the surgery. Um, it'll be structurally sound. There'll be a little bit of rehab, miss a few games. But then we were able to, you know, you'll be able to make it back for the Orange Bowl. So it was, um, it's it stunk to, to be out, but um, we, it didn't really, to me, it didn't take away from the season that Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. We had, you know, it was just, it was such a fun run. And um, even, you know, there as a, as an injured guy, kind of taking that role as trying to be more vocal as a leader in that, in that um, sort of spot where I, I got to help the young quarterbacks, you know, I'm injured, but you got a job to do still. Like I talked about earlier with Jake, that's a room. It's a quarterback room. You know, we, we all um, need to be there for each other. So even with the surgery, it, it wasn't just like, okay, yeah, go home and, and play Xbox. No, you need to be there and, and help the, you know, the next guy out, help, help Andy out and keep the team moving and um, keep the ship going. So, you know, it was one of those things. 
what's the next piece of adversity that we're going to fight? And so that was kind of part of it. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things you'll learn from and, and, and you move on and, and you just use it to build that, that uh, sort of adversity armor. Going into that Orange Bowl, a lot of the big talk was um, around the defense, whether, you know, we were going to be able to adjust and uh, to that option style offense that they ran. Um, very unique, not really done very much anymore. And, um, you know, with us having that extra time to prepare, um, I, I would think that helped quite a bit. Uh, that was the one thing people were kind of worried about, like, oh, that we haven't seen anything like right. that all year. Are we going to be able to stop that? Um, can you walk us through, and I don't know how much, you know, you were able to see from the offensive side, but um, the preparation that the defense went through trying to get ready for that offense, and then also a little bit about the offensive preparation for that bowl game. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the work that, that, that Coach Parker did there was, I mean, it was amazing. And, you know, his, obviously, his history of having, you know, been around the game so long, he had seen that before. And so they really switched the whole defense. I mean, they switched the whole defense around to kind of stop what Georgia Tech was doing. So I think that was the first part was them not being stubborn to think, well, we're going to play what we play. We're just going to stop. It's like, no, we're going to see what they do. And then we're going to be smart about this because it is so unique. So that move right there, it just put our players in a better position. You look at what Adrian was able to do in that game. If you look at the defense, they just never really let them get going. And we knew that, Hey, on offense, you know, if we get out to somewhat of a lead with these guys and we make them throw the football, put make them uncomfortable right the last thing we want to do is get into this sort of battle where it's just a run game battle that's what they want they want that so we need to get yeah. up a couple scores we need to put the pressure on them make them sort of throw the ball make their their quarterback get uncomfortable um i think that combination um you know really helped us have control of that game for what felt like all four quarters um the score was a little closer than i think the control of that game felt and i, I think it starts back with coach parker's experience knowing that, hey, we can't be stubborn here and just do what we do. We have to kind of switch some things up to match this very unique attack that they have on offense. And then our our, our thought process as an offense was sort of to complement what the defense was trying to do. And like I said, that was Coach Ferentz's thing. This is a team game. We have to play that way. We have to strategize that way. Um, and it doesn't hurt that you have more more time to get ready for a game like that. From a couple standpoints, I was able to get healthy. The defense was able to scheme this thing up a little bit. Um, and it just, you know, it provided a really nice ending to the season. It was a lot of fun. Um, we had a blast in that game. I know the fans had a blast in that game. The coldest orange blever, I think it, it still is. But I, that's a great memory for a lot of fans and a lot of players and a lot of family. Um, I don't know how much you remember because, you know, I'm sure all the festivities were going, going on right there. But at the end of the game, you know, you get asked, I thought was a very odd question. Um, and, you know, getting put on the spot, you know, coming from the heartland, you know, what does this mean for middle America? And then yeah. you drop probably the most famous quote of any Iowa football in history. <laughs> yeah. Being an American's great, like right. USA number one, if you don't love it, leave it. Was that like, yeah. What preempted you to say that? Like, was the, obviously that couldn't have been planned because we didn't. You didn't know he was going to ask that. Tell me yeah. how that unfolded. Yeah, so you know, I always start that that story with you know citing that me and my buddies, me and my roommates, we would we were watching a ton of Ricky Bobby at that at that time in our lives, right? There was okay. like all these, so we were always kind of like talking in this Ricky Bobby tone and like saying like ridiculous things, and and so it was one of those moments where like he asked the question. 
action. I, I don't know if he was trying to pit like a north versus south type thing and, and kind of, you know, one of those. And I didn't know where he was really wanting me to go with that. And so I was like, I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to kind of have fun with it and just kind of flip it around and make it funny. Make it, you know, funny for really my teammates. Because if you see right after I say it, I turn around <laughs> and I point at my roommates and I'm like, can you believe I just said that? And it was like, so it was one of those things just to like, we were in the heat of the moment. It was so much fun. We were having this great celebration. I mean, I'm, we're, we got the hats. We're chucking oranges into the stands. Our fans, our, our fans are going nuts. Our family's there. It was just, I was in like a very happy mood at that time. And he asked that question and I kind of just like used it. I was like, everybody did. It was kind of, I kind of chuckled and was like, where exactly do I go with this? And it just kind of switched into like, well, let's just kind of make it, you know, let's make it a little bit of a comment. Let's make it, let's make, get some, get some laughs out of it. But it definitely is still alive and well today. I, I, oh, I yeah. every, every 4th of July, you know, every, actually since I started uh, getting on social media, I was never on it before, but like every 4th of July, I just get these, a bombard of, you know, tags and stuff about uh, love it or leave it. So it's all in good fun. It's a, it's a great memory. You, yeah, that moment right there made you like a folk hero for, you know, Iowa yes. athletics and not only Iowa athletics, but the U S in general, uh, like yeah. you said, every 4th of July, it's like, that's the, that's the message. It's a picture of Ricky Stanzi with a flag in the background <laughs> and it says yep. USA number one. If you don't love it, leave it. It's just yep. so cool. Yep. And I just, you know, it's too bad too. You probably didn't even see a, a penny out of all those t-shirt sales from that because no. i know those t-shirts were pumping out at that time i yeah i remember we would go to shields all the time we go to the, the, the mall just to kind of waste time i remember walking into shields and i'm like that's there's my there's what i said right there like on a t-shirt yeah. you know and so there was a lot of that that was going on but there's a lot of funny t-shirts that were made at that time kind of surround my name and it the, some of the fun stuff was that some of our friends um, w- were part of that. And so we have some of those T-shirts to this day. I remember my mom brought them over one day. She's like, do you want these? Do you want to wear them? I'm like, I mean, I'm not going to wear that shirt <laughs> like, with my with my face on it that says Americanzi. Love it or leave it. But they were funny shirts. So it was – everybody had fun with it. Um, you know, it's just – I think it also speaks to – how great, you know, the fans are at Iowa and, and just how passionate they are and, and how much they, you know, they, they love the players and, and, and they, they, they love, you know, getting out there on Saturday to watch us play, traveling to different states to watch us play. Um, you know, you always felt that support. You always felt that love as a player. And so it was just, it's, it's really fun to, to look back and still have those great memories, um, still be able to share those great memories and, you know, sharing them here i've shared them with other podcasts with other fans and, and, and friends and you know it, it means a lot to those people it's a big deal and so it's really it's really cool to be a part of that and it's, it's very humbling yeah it's uh definitely one of the greatest moments in iowa football history and that's got to yeah. feel pretty cool on your end to have been an integral part of that uh we wanted to also talk to you about uh your pro career uh you know there was a few teams you know kansas city chiefs jacksonville jaguars mm-hmm. just to name a few um walk us through a little bit of your journey um in the nfl i know a lot of iowa fans and i'm sure you probably caught wind of this um, had some frustration with the Kansas City Chiefs because, you know, at that time the Chiefs weren't having a ton of success. And um, the, I know Brady Quinn was number two there and Matt, uh, Matt Castle, I believe, uh, was the starter. And mm-hmm. all the Iowa fans were really on the Chiefs case to, like, give Stanzi a chance, you know, let him get in there and see what he can do. And it just never mm-hmm. seemed like they really gave you that opportunity. 
You know, I think it, it really, like I said earlier about self-responsibility and kind of looking in the mirror, I, I look back on all that and, you know, it, it really falls at your feet as a player. Um, when you're given the opportunity, you really have to seize it. And and, and I and I didn't do that, you know, and, and like I kind of talked about earlier, why I do what I do today as a, as a movement coach is because I struggled in the NFL. It's because I struggled. I struggled late in 2010. I struggled at, in that transition um, at the combine and get, go, getting drafted by the Chiefs and going to the, to the team and, and trying to form well and, and struggling with my own mechanics and, and how I was moving and, and, and losing confidence and, um, you know, being in a position where um, you don't feel as explosive or as confident as you should be in, in that position at quarterback, you just can't do it, especially at the highest level. So, um, you know, I know people probably felt frustrated. I know my family and friends were frustrated at times, but for me looking at it, I was like, I, I, I didn't take the opportunity that was presented to me and really run with it because I was struggling. And every time I got cut, I had, I deserved to be cut. And so I used those moments um, as, as, teach tape for myself. You know, I'm obviously not doing something right. Something's not right here that I need to fix. What is it? And that, like, what is it? That question was what turned into what I do today. So I look back on it and I'm super grateful for it. I'm super grateful for the adversity. I'm super grateful for those times where I was like, man, my confidence is at the lowest it's ever been. I don't know why, but I tell you this, I'm going to find out why and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make sure that some young quarterback learns from me some way, shape or form so that they can play better. Um, and so that was kind of, you know, how I look at my, my, my pro career. And it was, I mean, it's, it's awesome. Like I got to play in the NFL. I got to live in some awesome cities. Um, I was fortunate to be in there for four years to get vested. So like those types of things, I mean, I just, I, I can't look back on it and be bitter. Um, it's one of those situations where um, you have to use the adversity or the, the uncomfortable times to grow. And that was what I did. Um, and I didn't know it at the time. It was really just kind of a, a soul search to try to find out how to fix my own mechanical errors. And like I said earlier, it just started to snowball. And I got really interested in human movement and biomechanics and how the, the body um, needs to move. And I, if I wasn't wrecked myself, I wouldn't have figured out how to how to be unwrecked. Like, so being wrecked was very important to me. Um, it's become a very important part of, you know, my story and, and what I go to tell other people, other parents, other kids, other quarterbacks, other athletes. Um, and so I look back on it. I'm just like, I'm like super grateful for that struggle because um, it taught me so much. And at the same time, I met a lot of great people, went to a lot of different cities, um, even got to go up to Canada and, and, and hang out with uh, uh, the great organization that is the Calgary St. Peters. I met a lot of great people that I'm still friends with today. Um, so I look back on those the, the pro career, and while it may not have been the result that I wanted on the field, all the stuff surrounding it was was beautiful, and it helped kind of blossom into a second career. That's a fantastic perspective, and you know I think that's a – you know, your, your experience with that and the way you describe that could be, I think anybody can put themselves in that position in their own life and, mm -hmm. and draw parallels that, you know, that you've taken any sort of adversity and really, you know, made it as a blessing and a learning experience to, you know, make you into who you are today. And, um, I think that's very universal. So that's a, that's a pretty great way to look at things. Um, something else that was, uh, pretty pretty damn great was when you were the honorary captain against Penn State now that speech I 
I'm telling you, I am not in shape, but I could have ran through a wall after <laughs> I watched that speech talking about going to hunt. You know, they bring yep. back the Penn, the Penn State killer. You always had such yep. good luck playing against the Nittany Lions. Mm-hmm. How much work did you put into uh, coming up with that awesome speech? And uh, what was it like being the honorary captain uh, for that team? Because I remember, um, you know, I had my surround sound turned up for that game. And we, when you were on the field and they recognized you, that that place about blew up. You had to feel the love. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was like I remember – if you watch the video, I like put my hand right here. I was like, Oh my God. Like it was like, it was a wave of like, it really felt like a lot of gratitude. And it was just, cause you know, you, you put a lot of effort in when you're there and, and we had great success and, you know, and we kind of ended with a bit of a struggle there in 2010 and to kind of come back um, and to, to, to be there in the middle and all the fans, you know, showing their appreciation. It was, it was really, it was an awesome moment. And, you know, that speech, I mean, it was, I thought about it. Um, I didn't write anything down or I, I, I hadn't practiced it, not outside of it just floating around in my head. Um, that's kind of how I do things. I just sit there and I'll just think about it and think about it, let it, let it circulate. And then when it's time to go, it just, I had an, I had a general idea of what I wanted to tell those guys. And I, it was kind of coming back to what coach had instilled in, in, in us was that this is a team, like you're a tribe. And so using the movement world that I, that I'm in and how we study the indigenous cultures and how they move and and having watched so many tribes go out to hunt and seeing type of communication and the type of, you know, stealth and the type of, you know, um, attention to detail that is needed to execute a hunt in the wild. Um, it just was such a perfect parallel and it was something that I could just talk about. And so I was able to just kind of go up there and just, just go with it. And, um, you know, if I hadn't swore so much, there would, you guys would have been able to to see more of that speech because the video guys were like, dude, I had to like really comb through to find a clean couple sentences that I wasn't swearing. I was <laughs> so surprised I how short it was. Yeah, it was much longer than that. It was much okay. longer than that. So there was a lot that, that wasn't able to make it because I was, you know, getting the boys, getting the boys riled up, but it was a really cool experience to come back to be in the new facility, but to see, see the same old faces um, and, and to kind of, you know, not only have the, that staff that, that helped make me be the person that could stand up there and give that speech back, but then to also be able to have my, my, my mom and my dad there and my closest friends from the team, they were in the room. So like, it was just a really cool moment. It was a really cool weekend. And then it was really capped off by just getting to see all my old buddies and, and old teammates, but then to be there at the, at the 50 yard line and, and you feel that love and that gratitude. And it was just like, whew, it was just a wave. It was, it was really cool. I know just as a fan, I mean, I, I had goosebumps seeing that it was, it made me feel really good because, you know, every Iowa fan has a ton of appreciation and gratitude for everything you did while you were a Hawkeye. And to see that, uh, really brought to life real time was just, you know, it gave me goosebumps. So it had to be awesome, awesome for you to feel that. And I've, I've had some, you know, everybody has had instances in their career where, you know, they, something didn't go quite right and, and you know, don't, you know, execute on something like you wish you would have. And I pulled that speech up periodically a few times since then and listened to that. And I'm telling you, man, it gets me fired up still. I listened to it this morning before we talked. It's just, it's, uh, <laughs> it's it. one of those things. I'm like, how is this guy not coaching football? Like, you know, how are you not giving pregame speeches for a living? Like I would, yeah. I, I don't know. It was just, I, I was surprised. I'm like, I thought for sure after that, I'm like, 
uh, he's got to, I got to see a future in coaching with him. Have you, did you get any sort of feedback after that speech? Yeah, it was, it was all positive. You know, I had a lot of people that, that reached out and were like, dude, that was really cool. And there was a couple of radio stations back here that, that had kind of uh, run the, that little bit of the speech. And um, so some of the people that I have, you know, back here after coming back home after being away for so long, um, you know, they kind of reached out and, and, um, you know, it was kind of the same thing you said, like people got fired up and that's, that's awesome. Like, it's cool for me to, to be able to hear that. I, you know, when I was at Iowa, um, I wasn't really that, I, I, I gave a few speeches here or there, but it wasn't really how we did things. It was more of just like, do your job, um, you know, handle the adversity and then keep moving forward. And it was, I always tried to keep my mindset kind of even keel, never get too high, never get too low, just stay right here, picks or a touchdown coming off the field the same way. And so I never really got that elevated, but it was, it kind of gave me that opportunity to, when I was removed from it to kind of look back and, and I had all, all these things that I wanted to tell these young men um, to get them fired up. And, you know, the, the great thing about what I do today as a, as a coach and a teacher of a movement system is that I still get to do those things. Like I still get to go in front of a room and teach and I, and I get to, it may not be football players and it may not be X's and O's, but it's coaches and it's, and it's athletes. It's the X's and O's of the body. And so I just, I get just as excited, if not more excited about that. And, um, you know, I still try to deliver that same type of leadership and that same type of excitement to them because what we kind of do at GOTA is it, it challenges the norm. It challenges what's been previously thought um, about human movement. And so in order to do that, in order to kind of have that battle with the status quo, you got to put on a little bit of armor. You know, you kind of got to have some thick skin. And I got real thick skin, <laughs> five picks before the fourth quarter. So like, I don't, yeah. I, I don't like to get, I don't get rattled. I don't, I don't, I don't want my other coaches and my athletes ever get rattled. So I try to kind of give that back to them. Um, and while me not being rattled is even keel when I play as a coach and a teacher, it comes out more like it comes out with more fire um, and it's more animated, but um, I still use all those things. And I was just talking to a, a young quarterback who I've, I've mentored, um, you know, for most of his life, his quarterback life the other day. And we were just talking about the benefits of the position. You know, it, it's the stats, the wins, that stuff's great. But the stuff that you learn at this position is like, it just, it transcends everything. Like it, it goes into every corner of your life and it's really cool if you're there to learn from it. And so I try to use that same quarterback mentality now as a movement coach and as a professor coach for these, for these um, coaches and athletes and clients, and they need someone to lead them. And, and that's what, that's what I do. That's, it's really refreshing to hear you talk about it because you're clearly somebody who's found their passion. And when you found your passion like that, you don't really ever go to work. It's not work. It's something no, that you love. Labor of love. No, <laughs> it's definitely yeah. not work. Yeah. So it's yeah, really I, cool I to hear say, you talk about it. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, like it was just a passion that kept building. So it wasn't ever like, okay, when I get done with football, I'm going to go do this. It was like, no, I'm going to teach movement. Like, I don't know exactly what <laughs> or, or how that's going to look. Cause I was just kind of gathering information, gathering information, but the passion was there. And then, and then once, you know, having talked to coach Gilly and coach Gary and, and understand what go to was in this, this idea of, of studying nature in slow motion and, and observing nature's patterns and, and using the new technology to truly slow it down and to see how the indigenous move and to see how the crawling baby moves, to see what it's supposed to look like at the source. 
once I saw that, and then once I saw how I was moving and why I was even in that position to try to figure it out in the first place, because I couldn't move the way I wanted to do or execute what I needed to do, it was like, it all came rushing. And so the passion was just, it just keeps building. The belief system just keeps getting stronger. And so um, it's fun to be able to use what you learned in football in the next career. It's, I mean, it's really awesome. And at the same time, you're able to still kind of be in that world of football, give back to the young athletes, especially the young quarterbacks and kind of help them not make the same mistakes that we made. So um, other than what you have going on with GoTo right now, um, tell us about where you're living, uh, family life, and kind of just how the personal life's going right now. So I'm back. I'm back home in Cleveland. So my wife and I are both from the same area. We went to the same high school. So you know we we traveled around right after after college, and we did the whole NFL thing. And you're kind of just one city to the next. And then we're up in Canada. By the time we got to Canada, we had two. We had already had our our second child. So my my son Lenny is six. My son Mick is four. And then I have a, a little girl Rosie who's uh, two. And so um, you know it's it was transitioning back home was like awesome it was so nice to finally be home and to be settled we felt like we were gone for really a decade you know i was gone for more than that when you include iowa um so it was really cool to finally get back home and and to to see a bunch of familiar faces and and be around friends and family and um yeah we've just kind of you know we've grown some roots and and you know my we live on a street that's you know right up next to where i went to elementary school and there's a nice little downtown area and my kids got uh you know lenny's got a bunch of friends on the street, 20 kids on the street, it feels like. And so we've got the whole, you know, just the classic neighborhood thing going on. Everybody running across the streets to other people's backyards and going to baseball practice. And so like, it's really dad life, it's, it's family life. And then it's, you know, being a movement coach. And, and um, it's awesome that I'm able to do that at home with my family um, around you know, Lauren's parents and my parents, um, and we're able to see everybody because we, we really didn't get to see everybody as much when we were traveling around, especially in, in, in those those NFL and pro years. So it's really cool to be back home and to just kind of grow some roots and um, to, to not move around and just be around family and friends. No, that that's great. It sounds like you're in a really, really good place. And, and, and that's, that's great for everybody to hear. And, um, you know, just again, you thank you for, you know, take, taking us a trip down, a trip down memory lane to relive all the great Hawkeye memories that, that you helped create. And, uh, again, you know, we appreciate everything you did as a Hawkeye in your playing career and how you continue to give back with the, uh, being the honorary captain. And things like that, and we hope to see uh, see around the program more in the years to come. Yeah, I, I hope so. You know, I've I've been um, I actually was just on the phone with Coach O'Keefe the other day, and so you know, I still keep in touch with those guys. And uh, you know, it's 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 one of those things that it's always going to be a part of who you are. And I, I think fans can relate to that. I think former Iowa players can relate to that. Um, it, it really is more than just football. And um, I, I don't think I knew that when I was choosing to go to Iowa, but I, I do think that there was that, that vibe there um, that this place is special um, and you can't quite put your finger on it until you go through it. And even after that, it's still kind of hard to put it into words, um, but it's just a really good experience. And, my best friends in the world and the people I still hang out with to this day that I go on golf trips with, you know, those are the guys that we battled with on that field. And so uh, you can't replace that. And so it's, it's been, it's been really fun. And I enjoy doing these kind of things where I get to bring back those memories. It's um, cause it's very humbling and it really, it really was, and it is still a blessing. 
Oh, we appreciate it, Ricky. We'll let you get back to uh, back to Gota and uh, back to the family. But thank you for taking time out of your day to sit down with Nebraska Hawks Nest. And we always end it with a Go Hawks. Go Hawks, baby. All right. Thanks, Ricky. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we do too.